0: so let's do this. Uh, Anybody ever feel like, anybody ever hear this is not my fault? I didn't do it. Nobody saw me. You can't prove anything. What's that from? Your kindergarten class? Yeah, sadly, it's every kindergartner and probably every other person in here. But the fact is, we kind of live like that. And I know some of you are familiar with maybe Oscar Wilde, the playwright, and he once jokingly remarked, I can resist everything except temptation. The thing is, we're all tempted at one level or another for something or something. I mean, it's just, the fact is, it's always there, and we, none of us want to take responsibility for it because none of us want to be that person. But let me ask you, like, what do you do when those thoughts come to you? What came to you? I was curious because I didn't know if, I thought if I ask you that, I mean, what comes to your mind when I think about a temptation that you have? Don't say it out loud. Because, you know, what's funny about it. We, we all tend to see each other in a good way, which I think is good. I mean, for the most part, unless you're, you're more of a suspicious, you know, negative person, then you see everybody that way. But, but it's nice not knowing sometimes what people struggle with, isn't it? I mean, I'm glad you don't see my struggles, at least as obvious. I hope they're not obvious. But I don't know what came to your mind. It could have been gossip or anger or lust or excess or could have been envy or it could have been so many things. The thing is, we all struggle and it's, it's interesting because it's so easy sometimes to look at somebody else and think, oh, I can't believe they struggle with that. I mean, I never struggled with that. I appreciate C.S. Lewis in a lot of ways, and one of the ways is he, he said he doesn't he tries never to judge somebody that struggles with something that he never struggled in. Which which isn't normally how we do it. But the reason he said that is because he said, I, I really understand people who struggle with alcohol and people who struggle, you know, in the area of lust and, and with women, because those were the things that I struggled with. He said, But if, if I see somebody who is mired in the addiction of gambling, and they can't get out of it, and they've ruined their family and all. I, I don't understand it. So because of that, I can't really, really judge them because I never had that temptation. That doesn't It doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't draw me, and I, I don't struggle with that. I've noticed something, though, about people. We tend to judge people sometimes uh, if if we don't struggle where they struggle because we think, oh, I can't believe they would struggle with that because you don't. But But then I've noticed something else about us, maybe not you, okay, maybe just me, but things that I've overcome, it's almost as if I forget how I struggled in it. Then when I see someone struggling, I almost judge them a little bit more for that thinking, I don't know why they can't get over that. Forgetting how hard it was for me when I was in that. Does that make sense? I don't know why we're like that. I think think part of it is we makes us feel better and all of us do the comparison thing and somehow we fool ourselves into thinking if we compare ourselves to others and we somehow look better, then we're okay or better. Something else about temptation and sin. Let's, we're going to jump into this more, but, but the funny thing too about it is it's never some big thing. Have you noticed that? Usually it's not. Usually the, when the big thing comes, that wasn't the thing. There was, there was all these little steps that preceded the big thing. You notice that? I'll tell you, the enemy of our souls is clever and <clears throat> we don't just jump up and sin. It's, it's almost as if we have these little tiny death by a thousand cuts and you start making mistakes, and you start compromising, and you start saying it's okay here, and okay here, and okay here, and pretty soon, you're in so deep that you can't get out. I heard someone ask this once, and I've, I've thought about it a lot, but what, what would it be like if right when you sinned, God punished you immediately? Boom. It was visible punishment. It'd be a weird world, wouldn't it? Can you imagine, though, what it'd be like? It's almost like a science fiction movie or something where I just imagine, this is my imagination because I'm weird, but... You know, people are walking around, and all of a sudden, bam, somebody gets hit in the head, and you're like, ah, I know what they did, because God punished them immediately. And it's interesting, because anybody ever taken a dog to dog training? Nobody? Just me? Really? One of us? Only one? Really? Two? Are you just not one to say? Well, okay. Well, here's the thing. One of the things they teach you, you know, I remember going to dog training. I had this Dalmatian. He was, he was a fun dog, but he was, he was an awesome. He was huge. Big, he was too big to show. I mean, he was just a big dog. And I took him to dog training. I remember standing there with him and feeling stupid, like, I should be able to do this. I don't know why I can't do this, figure it out on my own, but I'm here. Then there's all these people there, and all the dogs were crazy. And uh, the, lady, the lady doing the, t- the training, she goes, just so we're clear here, the training's not really for the dog. It's for you. And I'm like, oh, I am stupid. Okay, now I get it. And then <clears throat> she said some really interesting things that I thought, the whole time she was talking, I thought, that's just humanity. I mean, they're dogs, of course. But basically what she said is, if you, can't, you can't punish something like a dog, for instance. It, it, the, the longer you wait, the more they forget and don't associate the thing they did with the punishment, right? So why doesn't God punish us right away? Wouldn't we learn quicker? I think we would, but that's not how he did it. What he did is he tries to, to let us kind of grow up like we do with our own children and you want them to grow up and make good decisions. I mean, uh, you know, and, and, and I know there's different ways to do this, but I've seen some people, uh, parent where they're jumping on every little thing and then I've seen maybe the other parents say, hey, you got to pick your battles and you don't need to go off on every little thing. And I'm thinking, well, then how do they know when what is what and if they're trying to get away with this? I mean, but as human beings, The way it is, is we make these little mistakes over and over and over, and then we end up in deep, deep, deep trouble. I don't know why it's that way, but it is. But I do believe this, that God is not a God that just hangs you out there and says, I made life tough for you, a too bad deal with it, and walks away. He doesn't do that. And in the book of James, as practical as it is, you knew at some point he would have to address temptation and sin this way, and he does. He gets very clear. So we're gonna start right here. And he, he talks about where sin begins. Not only, well, he does. He talks about where it begins. Let's read it. And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong and he never tempts anyone else. <clears throat> when I first read that uh, for this series, I thought, who would say God tempts you? No one would say that, right? No, I mean, none of us would say that, right? And then I got to thinking, well, actually it's, it's, I, I bet for a lot of people, it's kind of a safe thing to say, right? I mean, it's different than if you're, if you're with your husband or wife and you say to them, stop tempting me, or, or you accuse them of something, because they'll defend themselves right away. But God isn't like that. He's not threatened by our, our, our accusations or anything. In, instead, he sits back and he's listening to this nonsense. And then I started to think about things I've heard other people say, like, Lord, you put me in this situation. Ever anybody say that? God, you made me this way. I mean, I can't help it. This is just how I am. That's basically blaming him. How about, Lord, you gave me these desires, or God, you knew I was broke, or God, you knew I was weak in that area. In a way, I think we do blame him sometimes. But before we get too far off on that, I want you to always know he's never, ever, ever the source of your problems, ever. Not, not even once. Not even close. That's not who he is. Not only does he not tempt, but he doesn't want you to be tempted. Think about even the Lord's prayer. That's, when, when the disciples came to Jesus and said, teach us how to pray, and he said to them, pray like this. Remember how it goes? You can you do it with me? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. We forgive our debtors. And did you catch that part? We're supposed to pray not to be led into temptation. Why would he even put that in there? Why would he put that in there for the disciples unless it was a thing that for us as human beings, we need to be aware that temptation is there and it's out to get you and you need to pray that God would help you with that. He wants you to pray that. It's not as if he's putting up, again, barriers that you can't climb. He wants you that way, but he doesn't tempt people. He's telling you, pray, make sure you pray not to be drawn into temptation. (laughs) That's, That's... Look at this, God will never lead you to a place where you are forced to do evil. He won't do that. He will not do that. So no matter what, you really can't blame him. I know there's times where we try to blame and we all try to blame. We try to get out of responsibility and make it as if it's not us. And you may find yourself in a tough situation and under a lot of pressure, but the bottom line is you're not forced to and certainly not forced to by God. And he doesn't set you up to fail. He does not do that. That's not who he is. It would contradict both his holiness and his love for you. That's not the way our God is. You know, I think, though, about Adam and Eve and that story. Honestly, too, I think I've thought about more about that story in the last five, 10 years than ever in my whole life. But I think about that story a lot because I've heard people debate, well, is it a real story or is it an allegory or is it symbolism or is it really a literal Adam and Eve? Think about that story. The details in that story play out over the entire Bible. The conversation, the details of that conversation are are put there on purpose for us. And as you think about it, think about some other things. And maybe I'm the only one who thinks like this, but why didn't God just make the fruit gross? You ever think about that? Don't eat that gross thing over there. Right? Wouldn't that have been a little easier for him? Have you seen that one? I think it's called a passion fruit, and it's got all the pokey things on it. I mean, what is that? Has anybody ever eaten that? I've never eaten it. I mean, I just thought, why? Why? Would you even eat that? But why did he do that? Why didn't he make it a little more difficult? Because the Bible says it was good to look at, and it was enticing and tempting. Was he setting them up? What lie did did the enemy try to get Eve to believe? If you look at that story, it's the same story that's repeated, not only all through Scripture, but in almost everybody's life from time to time. What he does is this. Let's look at right in the scripture. He says, the serpent was the shrewdest of all wild animals the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of these trees in the garden? What's he doing? He's starting to get her to doubt God's goodness. Does God really like you, really? Or is he just setting you up? Is he, is he trying to keep you from something good? Or is it, is it really that good? You know people do that. I mean, people who are clever... They can get you to doubt and think things backward and pretty soon you're all twisted up. And, and they didn't actually say anything directly violating God. They just ask you a lot of insinuating questions that led you down a path to question. But then a couple verses later, he straight out says, you won't die. You know what he should, I mean, he could have just said, God's lying to you. That's what he said. You won't die, the serpent replied God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it and you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. So first he kind of teases her and tempts her and asks her questions that lead her to doubt God's goodness and God's heart, and then he straight out says, God is a liar and you can't trust him. The problem with all of that is it's about God's character, and all of this that we're talking about tonight is about God's character. He does not do that to you. He doesn't put you in situations that set you up to sin, uh, and, and it's easy to think sometimes. I mean, is he good or not? Our intentions, are his intentions good for you or not? If you're wondering about a situation you're in or about, about something that's, that you're involved with and you're wondering, who's the good one here? Is it him or is it the enemy or what's going on? I just want to throw a couple of scriptures that might remind you that the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I have come to give you life and life more abundant. Jesus said that he is the source of life. And why would he give you that kind of life? And why would he give you choices at all? And I think the, the answer lies in this. He wants you to be a free person, to make completely free choice to serve him or not. And if, if he made the fruit gross, that wouldn't be a free choice anymore. It wouldn't be at all enticing or tempting. And up till that point, Adam and Eve weren't even innocent, if you think about it. Had they not been given a choice, they would never have been found innocent. Instead, all they were is just ignorant, not having any choice. And then once they were confronted with a choice, they could choose good or could choose evil, and instead they chose evil course, we all wish they'd have chosen good, but they didn't. But then if it wasn't them, maybe it would have been Cain or Abel next. I mean, the fact is that we all are given those choices in life, and you have to choose. And ultimately, your character and where you go and and what you do with your life and what you make out of yourself is going to be built on each one of those choices. Because I've had people say, well, why didn't God just make it all easier? And why didn't he create just all good people that make good choices all the time? And then you're back to the whole robot thing, and we're just robots that don't really have real choice. Either you have real choice or you don't. And for you to have real choice means you have a choice to do evil as much as you have to do good. It's weird, though, because even as we make these bad choices over and over and over, God is the master at taking our choices and turning them into good things. He just does that. He loves you too much to let you go and let it wander off into nothing. You ever done one of those drawings, maybe with a kid or something, where you... Uh, it's a game sometimes my kids used to play with me where they would draw, draw something on paper and then you had to take their drawing and draw something else. You ever done that? It's fun. Then they draw something and then you draw something. And, and it's funny to see how things that look like one thing end up being something totally, totally different. Of course, it looks better when they're actually good artists and I'm not so much, So, but still... God is the ultimate artist in that. So every time we do make a bad choice, the opportunity is for him to come in and to take that choice and all things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. And he masterfully changes those things around. You know, going back to that scripture when it said uh, temptation, that in, in the Greek there, you could actually translate that same word as trial. And in some versions of the Bible, it does say, You know, don't be surprised when you face many trials, same word, temptation and trial, at least in that case, in that instant. What I want you to understand is that what God does is he takes those things and turns them into good. So I've had people say something like this to me. They said, like, like maybe this, I know somebody recently who lost her job and they said, I think God, you know, took my job away. And I, I was really, I was perplexed. And I said, really? Why, why do you think that? well, I haven't really been serving him and I hadn't tithed in a long time and I feel like he was just punishing me. So really, you think that's what God does? Is that really how you think he acts? That he does that? Like he just took your, the car keys away because you, <laughs> you didn't put any gas in it this week and you didn't pay your insurance bills, so your dad took the car keys away? Is that what he does to you? He goes, I don't know, I think so. I think I was just so bad he had to punish me like that. Like, wow, see, I don't, I don't think that's how scripture says but I do believe this. I believe you lost your job, and there probably is a reason that maybe you don't want to be honest about. I didn't say this part because, you know, but I wonder, maybe maybe there's something that was else, something else going on, or maybe something you don't even know that was going on. But I did do this. I talked to him, and I said, you know what I do believe? I do believe regardless of why you lost that job that God can take that situation and turn it into something good. And he, and I said, um, you know what I believe? I, mean, I believe God could open up a different door, a different job, you know, what, maybe one that was even better for you than the one you had. And he said, He goes, oh, you mean like when God closes a window, he opens a door, or door in a window? And I said, no, I don't mean that. (laughs) That's what you just said. You said God took the job away. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, is that, that he can take a negative situation and turn it into something good because that's who he is and what he does. That's what I'm saying. Is it a trial? Yeah. Are there temptations involved? Yeah. Can the enemy of our souls take that negative event and turn it into horrible things? yeah, because he wants to kill, steal, and destroy, of course he can, and when you 're angry and upset about losing a job, you can make other mistakes and, and maybe say something reckless on Facebook or maybe talk to the other employees or or go out poorly, you know on the other hand, you could go out well and and actually have a future with that and something else The bottom line is God is good, and in these verses in James a few verses past the ones we're looking at today, it says, whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God, our Father who created all the lights in the heavens and he never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He, he is good and whatever is good comes from him. We, we need to settle that in our heart and mind and regardless of what comes, I mean, there may be times where you'll doubt, but the bottom line is he is good and you need to have that settled. He is good. If there's other things that are going on, it's not him. It could be us or other people or other circumstances. There's a lot of other reasons things go wrong, but it's not him. And as you look at this scripture, it's interesting because that part about he never changes or casts a shift, shifting shadow. In other versions of scripture, it, it talks about different versions of that shadow. And as I was looking into that, it was fascinating because what it was talking about is, I don't know how many of you have seen this happen where a shadow changes as it moves, as the sun moves or the earth spins and the sun stays the same. You know what I mean? How the shadow moves and it looks different. I don't know if any of you have had this ex- Anybody afraid of the dark when you're a kid? My dad one day, he said, I'm going to fix this, guys. And so he turned all the lights off in the house and we sat on the couch. And we sat there for a long time. I don't know how long it was. You know, as a kid, it was probably like 10 minutes, but it seemed like hours, you know. And then he started doing this. He goes, "He goes, what in this room looks scary to you? Have you ever done this? Just for fun, I mean, on your own? That doesn't sound fun, does it? And <laughs> you're like, that's not fun we're sitting there, and he said, what, it looks scary to you? And so we started pointing at different shadows. And then even as the, the moon maybe moved or something, I don't know, and they would change, and he says, what happened to that shadow that looks so scary? And we look like, oh, it moved. And he said, really, did the shadow move? And he goes, let's take a look. And then he turned the light on, and they were all gone. And he turned the light off again, and they're there. It's interesting because that scripture talks about how, you know, so many things in our life shift and change and move. And even people that you know and trust and love can change and Maybe they mean well, but then something changes and it's different. And what he's saying is God is not like that. He is good. He doesn't shift and change like the shadows around us. And he's not a source of fear for you. He's something you can trust and you can trust that he's good and he's always good. I thought of this and it kind of, it took me by surprise. Did you ever think about a trial being a good thing or temptation coming as good things? I never really thought about this, but then I kind of turned that whole job thing around. What if you got a promotion at work? Wouldn't, wouldn't it be God's intention maybe for, then you, for you to be even more gracious and with, with maybe your blessing, bless other people? And, and maybe before in the job, you had, you had not appreciated how you'd be managed, so then you choose to manage well. But it, the temptation sometimes for people is to not be that way and to maybe get a little payback now that they're on the other side. Or maybe, maybe themselves, now that they're in charge, they, they like the... Uh, all the accoutrements that that gives and they wanna show it off. And there's temptation there too. You know what I realize? Everything in life's a trial, isn't it? I mean, good or bad, blessing or, or, or problems. I mean, the fact is no matter what you encounter, the way you deal with it and the way you turn it over to God and let him do mighty things through it determines whether or not it's gonna be a blessing or a curse for you. Temptation is everywhere. I read this, this little thing, I'm gonna read it to you, but it says, you know, here's a man on a trip, he checks into a hotel, he's all by himself and he's lonely, he flops down on the bed, turns on the TV and sees a channel called Adult Entertainment. The man knows he has no business watching that channel, but he has a choice to make, right? Who would know? No one would have to know. And he feels an urge, of course, a temptation. So let me ask you a couple questions. Did God know the channel was there? Did he? Of course he did. Did he put it there? I mean, couldn't God have just set it up so that channel wasn't available or when he went in knowing knowing he was weak, make it so that that remote didn't work? I mean, we say those kind of things, but the fact is, that's not what God does. What he does is he gives us those opportunities or we put ourselves in those opportunities and then he presents us with the option. And the fact is, he wants us to grow through those experiences and he takes those experiences and he helps us to grow if we let him. But you see how sin starts? with that temptation, and then there's the next step. Temptation comes from our own desires, James says, which entice us and drag us away, and then these desires give birth to sinful actions. Let's let's break that down for a minute. I, I, see, I see a bunch of things in that little passage right there, but here's one thing for, for sure. We're all gonna get tempted. No question about it, everyone's tempted. We're tempted with different things, but we're all tempted. And the fact is, when you overcome a temptation, you used to have a good friend, he'd say, new level, new devil. You ever heard that? <laughs> you will never be out of the realm of temptation. You'll never be so perfect that you're never tempted again. You'll never be in a place where you are so good and you've got it all dialed in and it's never a problem. In fact, what I've noticed is a lot of times when you maybe overcome this and this and this and this, and then you find out, you, you think you're all good, and then you slip down to number three again. And you're like, what in the world? That was like years ago. I struggled with that. Now, what am I doing again? And I can't believe that's happened. And... Oh, my goodness. <laughs> There's another thing I noticed is that temptation is tempting. <laughs> when I wrote that, I thought, of course it is. But here's the thing. We think, I think, sometimes that it's not going to be. But it wouldn't be tempting. if I mean, it, it wouldn't be sin. It wouldn't be temptation if it wasn't tempting. We're drawn away and enticed. Enticement, the whole idea of enticement is the idea behind that word is that it's a fisherman's hook and a lure that you try to lure something into its own death. But it looks good. Fish don't bite on hooks because they look ugly and nasty and dangerous, right? It's because it looks good. The whole devil with the blue dress on, I mean, that's not about just making it look horrible. If the devil always came with a pitchfork and pointed tail and horns, we'd run the other way, but we don't because it's not how it is. If sin didn't bring a degree of satisfaction, none of us would sin. And we just wouldn't, right? I know it's so obvious, but it's there. Interesting, though, God doesn't leave us hanging out there. I mean, he doesn't. But, but look at this verse out of Hebrews talking about Moses. It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be the call, called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He choose, chose instead to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. I was meditating on that a bit because if you, think about the, if you think about the stark contrast that Moses chose, being raised as Pharaoh's daughter, imagine what was denied him. Probably nothing, nothing, nothing. I know this is going back a ways, but I remember when Kobe Bryant got caught at, with an affair and then, do you guys remember that? And he bought his wife like a six carat diamond ring or something like that. And I uh, remember seeing Chris Rock not long after that on some show. And he said, that much power, that much popularity, that much money? It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And he said, this is long before the Me Too movement and all that. He just said, he goes, they all do it. I was thinking about that. You think about the temptations that were in front of Moses. He had everything. But at some level, he realized, according to the book of Hebrews here, that sin, yes, it's pleasurable, and yes, Temptation is tempting, but he he was willing to go away from that. Scripture doesn't doesn't lie or mince words about the fact that there's sin there. It's real, and in the short run, we can always justify it. We can always find an excuse why we lost our temper or or, or told a lie or cheated a friend or or broke a confidence or spread some gossip or took a shortcut or indulged in a. We we can always figure out a way to say I know why I did this. It was just too tempting, or I couldn't I couldn't help it. But the fact is. It's always gonna be tempting and it's always gonna be pleasurable or it wouldn't be a temptation. The next thing is, I think it's really important for us to see in the scriptures, the fact that it's our own sin, our own lusts. You know, I, I, I know there's temptation out there and there's people who would draw others into sin. I know that, but I don't know about you, but I don't need that to sin. I got, I've got enough of my own issues in my own head, right? Am I the only one? embarrassing (laughs) it's inside of us and they're individual i mean we all have our own temptations whatever those are and it is inside it's already in there our own lusts it comes from inside and it battles within you and you know it's interesting too because some people debate whether man has original sin or not or has sin within and that's really bright isn't it with those lights that white background um have you ever heard anybody wonder about that? Like, is man basically good or bad? I mean, the scripture would tell us that we, because of Adam, we've inherited this sin nature. And I don't know how many of you have ever been around a two year old, but you see the sin nature, right? Am I right? I mean, what's the first word they say? No, they say dad, don't they? It's totally unfair, moms. But usually it is dad, dad, right? They and I've heard people explain that away. They'll say, well, that's because that's the easiest word to form because they're little young mouths. That's all they can say. And, regardless, but the next word for sure they say is either no or mine, <laughs> right? Am I right? Why is that? It's because that's who we are. We're, we're, we're naturally selfish and we want what's ours and we want it no matter if it's ours or not. I mean, mine is mine and yours is mine. Mine. That's just how it is. And then this is the scripture I was referring to. Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. And we could complain all day about how unfair it is, but it just is. I mean, you it just is. <laughs> I, <laughs> I read this, and I debated whether or not to say it to you, but I'm going I'm to read it. I'm in too deep. You ready? It says here, we all need spiritual birth control in our thought life. Our desires will impregnate our actions, and the result will be a whole bunch of little sin babies running around. <laughs> Did you catch that? <laughs> Let me read it again. All right, we need... <laughs> Spiritual birth control in our thought life, our desires will impregnate our actions, and the result will be a whole bunch of little sin babies running around. I know that's bizarre, but um, but but James made me do it. Let me show you why I said that. He made me do it because he says, these desires give birth to sinful actions. He uses that metaphor of birth. He uses it, I think, intentionally because... Similar to the birth process, you know, there's there's something forming in us all the time. and I mean, you have a choice whether or not to let it be born or not in that case. I mean, not with a baby, of course, but I mean, with that case, as you dabble with it, it's it's interesting because he uses that birth analogy twice. Earlier, he said evil desires give birth to sin, and then he he, he says that there, and then later he says that sin then gives birth to death. It's sad because if you're thinking about a birth, you're thinking about happy things, you're thinking about a you know, decorating a, a nursery, right, and buying little clothes. And, and in this case, what we're birthing is not good, and, and we, we let it grow in there. And it's, it's scary because it does give birth to death. And it's sad because even though we know that, it's, a lot of times that temptation seems so strong, and we, we toy and play with temptation instead of, instead of treating it as the death dealer that it is, be, we just do. And if you know the gospel, you know this isn't new. It's 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 what the gospel says is going to happen. I mean, Romans three twenty three says we all have sinned. Every one of us have sinned. We're all equal in that. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. None of us measure up on our own. And the wages of sin is death. And then, I love this quote by Rabbi Zacharias. I used it. I don't remember a couple of weeks ago. But sin will take you farther than you want to go. Keep you longer than you want to stay. And cost you more than you want to pay. And you flirt with it, and it's. it's the strength of it is far more than you could ever imagine. <laughs> you realize not all babies are beautiful, right? Your babies are. I know that. But how many times have you seen a baby and thought, what's that? what's that old thing? Something in the cradle, pretty at the table or something? Nobody knows that one? Homely in the cradle, pretty at the table or something? Handsome at the table, I think it is. Yeah, homely and handsome, I think it is. Which which is nice if if your baby's homely, but these babies aren't home are not pretty. They bring us death. It's it's. I know it sounds like I know I could tell I brought us all down. Sorry, but death it, it does bring death. You know you know God. Uh, every one of His rules are meant to protect and provide for you, and they are because He knows what sin will do in your life, and because of that, He wants to protect you from that. And he wants to provide for you good things. Think of the death that sin brings, the death in your relationships. Think of the death in the very first relationship. What did Adam do when God confronted him? What's the first thing he did? He threw Eve under the bus. He literally said, the woman you gave me, the woman you gave me, oh my gosh, can you imagine Eve's face? You'd be like, oh no, you didn't do that. To God, you told God, oh my gosh, Can you imagine the cold shoulder Adam got for like probably the next 100 years? I mean, they lived like 600 years. Could have been a rough 100 years. That's all I'm saying. Disobedience, it leads to guilt, which leads to shame, which leads to fear, which leads to hiding, which leads to blaming. And we do it all the time. Sin, Sin kills. It does. It brings death to us and if if we left it all there, it would be sad and depressing because we 've all fallen to it we 've all flirted with it and, and it's and it's grown up and created death in our lives, whether it 's death in a relationship or death in a job or death in in a future or i mean there we, there's a lot of illustrations of that but but there is a good side, and the fact is sin does kill, but God gives forgiveness, and then he gives life he He knows our our frailty, and he knows our sin. And he has created a way for us to then be free from all of that, free from that. doesn't mean you'll never make a mistake again. What it means is that when you make a mistake, he's going to help you to work through it and to be better the next time and 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 better the next time. And the next time. And remember those scriptures we read? I, 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 I only used some of them. I used half of them. Did anybody notice that? I did it on purpose because I wanted to kind of build a tension there and a sadness. Because there's actually good in those verses as well. Let me let me show you. The wages of sin is death, but that's a really holy contraction, right? Or conjunction, conjunction, conjunction. but the gift, free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is death. Yes, there's death, and it's it's horrible, and there's evil, and all of that. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And oh, <laughs> sorry. I was reading that earlier today, and I thought, you know what? It doesn't seem right that it ends with a period there, does it? Anybody else send a punctuation? Problem is, in Greek, they didn't have exclamation points like we do. I think it should read like this. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You should be excited about that. Yes, there's death, but then God gives life. Then this next one, yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings the right relationship with God and a new life for everyone. See how he did that? See what he did there? He said, he has Adam's one sin brings condemnation. Then he says, but God's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God. And then for everyone and a new life for everyone. Everyone, everyone can have this. First John 1.9 says, we confess our sins. He's faithful and just. Forgive us our sins. Cl- cleanse us from all unrighteousness, all unrighteousness. He did that. He provided that for you. He doesn't leave us without hope and without a way out. And furthermore, I know I've talked to people. They're like, I couldn't help myself. I'm, I'm just, I could not help myself. Every time I hear that, I think, man, I wish I could use that excuse, but I know that's dumb. I can't. Because I can't help myself. I know that. I mean, I hear people say that, and they convince themselves that's true, but I don't have that luxury anymore because I know that's not true. I know it's not true. Not only is it not true for me, it's not true for anybody, but I know that, so I can't even say that. But I've heard, I've heard people say that. Scripture clearly says in 1 Corinthians, that temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow that temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. I, I think the problem is a lot of times we're just not looking for the way out. When we get into a certain point, we just think, ah, it's too late, I'm, I'm done. And maybe you've gone across that temptation so many times that you've, you just can't even walk out anymore. But he doesn't even leave it there. James 4, 7, three chapters after what we're looking at. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You know what I like about this? That resist part. You may be in a situation where you're thinking, I've screwed up a lot, messed up really bad, and um, it's too late. And you're thinking, I don't know, I can't, I can't even fight back. Resistance is, is, is just the beginning of fighting. You notice that you thought about that. That's resisting. He wants you to just start resisting. Work, work at at least resisting. And then that first part, humble yourselves before God. In the NIV, it says, submit yourselves to God. When you are struggling in something and you think, God, I can't fight this. I'm, I'm overwhelmed. It's, it's more than I can do. Have you thought about praying out, calling out to Him and say, God, I'm, I'm way in deep. Most of the time, the enemy tells us, Oh, don't pray because He won't listen to you. Now you're, you're, you're on His bad side, or He's, He's not going to talk to you, or It's too far gone or he's never gonna forgive you. And the enemy's so good at fooling us like that and don't even bother going to church. You're gonna go there and everybody's gonna know. They can just look on your face and tell. They're gonna be talking about you anyway and they probably already have. And then none of them called you when you weren't there anyway. And he can come up with every single reason why you shouldn't even go. I would think you should do this instead, that you should humble yourselves, that you should submit to God and resist him and cry out to him. Say something like, God, come into me and drive out my anger. Help, help me drive out my greed. Help me help your purity to overcome and drive out my lust. Your mercy fill my soul and wash away my envy. Your patience come in and help my impatience to vanish. My, your grace come in and fill me within so that I can forgive. Doesn't even end there. You need more hope? How about this? How about actually putting on the mind of Christ himself? And in Hebrews 12, it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Again, I wonder, did anything come to mind? Anybody wanna share? Just kidding. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus the champion who initiates and perfects our faith perfects our faith as you put your mind on Jesus he will give you the endurance to run that race see living this life that we live in this world where temptations everywhere and it's tempting and everybody's tempted and you you struggle and struggle and you try to do right and you still fall the fact is that the more you focus on him and keep your eyes on him the more he helps fashion you and shape you into the image of his son, and you will endure and run that race. That's how it works. Shut your eyes with me for a minute, please. I know I've been kind of kidding around about your sin and my sin, and I do that because it helps us maybe deal with it a little bit more than if we are as honest about how evil and, and really wicked we are sometimes. Every one of us struggles somewhere. And, and I, I would imagine that most of you are better than me, and that's fine. I have my struggles, you have your struggles, then that's the truth. We're each different that way. The beauty of it is we all serve a God who loves us as we are and wants to continue to create us in the image of his son. And as you set your mind on him, you resist the devil, you, you focus on him, you look for those outs and temptation, you, you pray to him that he would help you and replace those thoughts with good thoughts. As you continue to do those things and put your mind on him, The truth is he will continue to grow in you someone that you you can even be proud of because he's already there. God, I pray for my friends in this room today and, and for myself, and I ask that you would help us as we endeavor to have the mind of Christ, that you would help us to grow in our faith and grow in the likeness of your son. I pray, God, that you would help us as we are confronted with temptation, that you would help us to focus on you and to find that out and that exit and to take it. I pray, God, for anyone here who's even in the middle of something that, that may be totally secret. And as we've been talking today, there, you kept speaking to them and, and they know for sure that you're talking to them. I want them to hear that you love them and that you're ready and willing to forgive and that you will help work this situation to your glory. God, I pray that you would help us with all of that. And I pray that in Jesus' name. I wanna invite you, if you'd like to pray, Dave's gonna put some music on. You're more than welcome to. You're also dismissed if you wanna be dismissed as we all struggle in this common walk of Christ. God bless you tonight. And he is jealous for me. Love's like a herd. bending beneath the weight of his wind